0: Hey guys. Sorry about that. Missed the countdown. uh I'm Jason Brand. And hey, good afternoon and good morning, depending on where you're joining from today. So I'm Jason Brand. I'm the Director of Outreach and Partner partner Development here at Supply Chain Solutions. And my co-host, Anthony D'Ambrosio, our Vice President of Sales, is unfortunately not with us today. Fairly um, missed, but he's going to get his hazmat training recertification. So it's actually one of the cool things i like about anthony's background and abilities he's got a lot of technical skills so he's able to really kind of talk pretty much in depth on some of the things here on the show so also make sure if you get some questions ask him about some hazmat stuff he loves diving deep into that Um, But anyways, if you are a returning viewer of our show this week, thank you so much for joining us again. We really appreciate you. And if you are a new viewer to our show, thank you so much for joining. So we represent Supply Chain Solutions. It's our goal to provide our customers with truly a one-stop shop for all of your logistics needs. So that includes end-to-end shipping services. We, on a yearly basis, ship to more than 160 different countries, or also it could include of our warehouse network we've got a multi-continental very expansive warehouse network that's constantly growing and uh, we also have a lot of multi-client facilities for some of those smaller customers but a ton of dedicated facilities for our larger customers too Um, very very cool but we also have this new integrated technology solution that essentially takes all of your supply chain challenges and brings them together into our system so we can kind of help you regardless of what you need. Um, That really brings together our transportation management, our inventory management, document management, and data management systems. And it comes together in this very easy to customize way for you and your teams to be able to see what's going on and access our integrated suite of technologies. So if you are not involved with that yet and you're working with us, you've got to reach out to us. Um, We're bringing people right now through the beta programs and making sure everything is tweaked. And if you want to be part of that, make sure you reach out to us. A lot of it's already live. So if you aren't a part and you're a customer, you got to reach out because seriously, the benefits you get from accessing these tools, I mean, it's it's 24-hour access to what we're doing and what is going on, and you can very easily flag or really do what you need to do. So, um, But thank you so much for joining us today. Now, we are talking about the Freight Market Roundup, and um, this is a show we like to do every other week. We don't have visuals, so we like to keep to an agenda to make things pretty easy to follow along. So to kind of run through that, we're going to start with ocean shipping, and we're going to work through our major ocean shipping lanes. Starting with our trans-Pacific, our Southeast Asia to U.S. West Coast, and then going over to our transatlantic, so our Europe coming into the U.S. East Coast, and then finally we're going to talk about our China to Europe shipping lane as well, um, going through the Suez. After and well, between that, we'll discuss a couple of things that our teams are talking about and keeping their eye on. So some really key current events, but also things that our customers have asked us about that they'd like us to talk about they'd like us to focus on so we try to include those as well and on top of that when we're done with that section we're going to talk a little bit about air freight what's going on in that market and finally we're going to wrap it up with oil and gas so we got a lot to cover let's dive right in starting with our trans-pacific so quick reminder we're focused on ocean rates in this lane. we're not including the inland portion so if you take a look at your shipping bill, let's say you are not controlling the shipping and you're shipping from obviously China to, let's say a terminal in the US, let's say you're shipping from China to Chicago, more than likely you're going to see one blanket rate. If you are seeing a broken down rate, make sure you are taking a look at your invoice and breaking out that ocean shipping portion, because that's really comparable to the rates we're talking about here. We're not talking about the entire rate. We're not talking about inland, inland destinations. Um, The only reason why we don't like to talk about those as much is generally speaking with our customers, we are figuring out the right solution for them. So that can change quite a bit. The ocean shipping market is a different animal and it's really, really insightful to watch those trends and it's really helpful for productions. So if you can't see your ocean shipping charge, you need to be in control of your shipping or have more control of your shipping because more than likely you're probably paying too much. Um, But We have talked about this before, particularly when talking about the trans-Pacific lanes, but this is really affecting a lot of the lanes around the world right now. These rates we are seeing currently are being propped up by the use of capacity levers and price controls. So these are things like GRIs, that stands for general rate increase, or things like what we talked about, the recently implemented peak season surcharges, or PSSs. There is one undeniable fact, though, and that's specifically when we're talking about the Southeast Asia to to our U.S. West Coast ports. Right now, there is more volume, and it's keeping some of these capacity levers in that range of effectiveness, because what we saw earlier in the year is GRIs were getting pushed through, but there wasn't enough demand for them to actually stick. So you'd see a price increase beginning of the month or maybe the middle of the month, And rapidly after that, you'd watch the rate just degrade back down to where it was. That's not really happening right now. Um, So, on our last freight market roundup, our ocean rates were hovering at around $2,000 a FEU. And this was an average for our customers. Um, You know, it's also the highest rate that they were seeing since before June of this year. And, you know, since then, shipping a 40 foot container, since just a couple of weeks back, um, at the two thousand dollar point, which was again the highest since June. Since then, it's still right around two thousand dollars. And you know, it's interesting. Um, we talked about this. There was a series of GRI's, but really, the one that's making it stick is that PSS's. And they, it's it's the stickiest we've seen rates on this lane in a very long time. Now, just to make sure I'm very specific, last week our average was twenty seventy, so two thousand seventy dollars per. FEU, 40-foot equivalent unit. Generally speaking, we go over TEUs, but what's been going on lately is we upgraded, as I kind of was talking about earlier, we've upgraded a lot of our internal systems and the way we track our rates and just the way we go about just compiling our data now has changed. So now we've got a pretty robust FEU system for tracking, and I'd love to use FEUs because most of our customers ship in FEUs. TEUs are generally the um, reported on numbers, and generally it's the numbers that, you know, it's just, it's a good unit, but we're gonna try to use FEU when we can. So that's $2,070 per 40-foot equivalent unit as of last week for our customers. And that's what they were averaging for the ocean portion, remember, of their shipments going from China into the U.S. West Coast ports. A little bit of a mouthful there. Now, um, Anthony and I, we talked about this briefly on the last Freight Market Roundup. But we were expecting a slight uptick beyond this $2,000 point, actually, in cost prior to Golden Week. And that's because, you know, generally speaking, Golden Week comes right before the beginning of the the U.S. consumer holidays. And as a result, you know, capacity starts to get a little bit of crunch right at that Golden Week period. And it, it kind of can propel it into a higher or the peak season generally of this portion of the year. And as of now, that prediction is seeming to be false. And that is because we aren't seeing that slight boost in volume that we were expecting. And this is actually despite the fact that the Chinese holiday is slightly longer than usual. it's not much longer, just just marginally longer. And that is just because that this year, the mid-autumn festival falls on September 29th. And that's going to combine with the national golden week holiday. So it's going to be an eight day holiday going from September 29th through October 6th or yes, <clears throat> October 6th. So typically though, we do see this, this boost because during golden week, you know, China's essentially closed down and um, you know, we're, we're not seeing that. And to really, if we hit the nail on the head here, when we're comparing the actual number of sailings happening over the next five weeks, So 2023 so far, we're actually looking at the lowest volume levels since February so far this year. So our prediction that after Golden Week, we're gonna kind of see a little bit more of a lackluster rest of the year seems to be on track right now. Obviously, we want to see volume increase because that's important for you know the US economy, but economies abroad. And also it's important for you know carriers to be able to kind of control their balance sheets a little bit now um just as a follow-up on last week's show because in the discussion of the arctic lanes that are being developed and are currently growing I definitely don't think i was clear enough that we do not condone what's happening in ukraine at the hands of russia we definitely don't support sidestepping any of those sanctions through the use of those lanes or you know accessing those ports in any way and Quite frankly, U.S. law is pretty clear on the rules when it comes to shipping to specifically um, countries that have sanctions against them. And um, when it comes to export controls and what's been going on lately, we've actually seen a lot of re-clarification coming out. So for NVOCs such as ourselves, um, and by the way, that stands for non-vessel operating common carriers, we can face criminal charges if for just even being involved in an export shipment involving certain components or shipments that are destined to certain countries. So a couple locations that have been right in the gun sites of this legislation lately have been China and Russia. And the Commerce Department's Bureau of Industry and Security, they can essentially levy these civil penalties. So they can be as much as $300,000 per violation, or twice the value of the transaction. And generally speaking, they go for what's greater. So it's generally a massive penalty. And on top of that, beyond the civil, there are criminal penalties as well. You can spend up to 20 years in prison and um, and up to a $1 million in fines for a violation or both, depending on how the Bureau of Industry Security, or AKA BIS, and That's according to their what what they will and can, can do, um, and actually we had a excellent class put on by the Van Andel Global Trade Center. I referenced this semi recently, and it was a reiter- reiteration of the importance of export control compliance, because um, it is a really sticky area, and a lot of people can um, you can definitely put a business under. Let's put it that way. So you got to remember this next time you're setting up an export shipment and the list of requirements from your logistics team is just getting longer and longer and you're getting more and more frustrated. And this is because if they can't prove they did their due diligence, they could quite literally be spending time behind bars. So, um, you know, but the one thing to know about this is these rules are not new, but the reason why I'm talking about them today is actually back in April, there was an official export control policy clarification that came back up. And then most recently, as of this Monday on the anniversary of 9-11, those statements came back out once again. And there was a little discussion about what the purpose of them are nowadays. So back in the day, it was a very anti-terrorism sort of situation, you know, and that's kind of where export control compliance came from. But lately that shift, and this was specifically stated, was um it was actually quoted that the primary security focus for these controls has since shifted from terrorism to preventing adversaries like China, Russia, Iran, and North Korea from getting advanced components and technology for their militaries. So that is quite literally was um quoted as of this last Monday. It's in the news, it's happening currently, right now. Um, you know, this is also kind of an interesting time period because we do have the review of the 301 tariffs coming up at the end of the month. Anthony and I discussed this. We are expecting those tariffs to continue. We think the exclusion process will be streamlined and there might be an exclusion list to follow up. So some new products that you can't actually import um, outside of those blanket China tariffs. But um, we are expecting those tariffs to continue, especially given the state of things at this moment. So let's shift gears though and move over to the transatlantic. Now In the previous show, we watched most of our global shipping lanes see a boost in costs from the use of those GRIs and the peak season surcharges in added blank sailings. Now, the East Coast lane on the last freight market roundup, we didn't see it having the same luck. Actually, it was the only lane that we talked about where the cost went down. And um, not only did it go down, it was already at record-breakingly low costs. Now sort of sad to say that this week, it's more of the same. So obviously, if we are shipping through a US terminal on the East Coast, you know, it's good news for us because these costs are low. But as I kind of mentioned earlier, there needs to be a certain cost level for things to run smoothly and effectively. And obviously, you know, you can't have carriers going so deep into the red that, you're going to see these service restrictions, which we have been noticing with certain shippers. So we kind of have to pick and choose which carriers we're using very strategically at the moment. Now, with that being said, right now what we're seeing is our rates are sitting at a measly 1370 per 40 foot equivalent unit. Now remember, not the TUs, we generally talk about the 20 foot equivalent unit, but that's the cost for a 40 foot. And we've even had multiple shippers bringing in like, more than one container. And, um, we've seen costs as low as 1100 per 40 foot equivalent unit. So definitely we are seeing record-breakingly low prices and it's, it is low or week over week than it has been as well. So trending down, um, that being said, the rate of decrease in the costs we have been seeing have been kind of the slope is, is decreasing. Let's put it that way. So, um, I don't think it's going to be for much longer, but let's talk about the news a little bit. So just to further the discussion from last week, and this is also kind of exactly what we would expect when it comes from demand from European European shippers to move rail freight along that northern corridor via Russia. So there is a via Russia route on rail. Um, it does actually connect, goes all the way from China to Europe. And what we are noticing is that, you know, obviously you'd expect this volume is way below pre-pandemic levels. Now, this is obviously due to a lot of things, um, but as soon as the Ukraine war occurred, there was a massive exodus of cargo. So overall, rail volumes from the European Union or destined to the European Union have decreased more than 40% since February of 2022. But there are a couple interesting little side notes to this, and some things we have to keep our eyes on. So despite this huge decrease in European bound cargo or European sent cargo, we are still seeing that the rail's annual volume is on track to surpass its last record. So it's going to be over 1.6 million TEUs, it looks like, um, this year. And that is its last record. And this really is due to, obviously not Europe, but it's due to China massively increasing the amount they are shipping Via this route. So we saw while, while those European bound cargoes went down by 40%, Chinese cargoes went up by 30%. So kind of a huge shift in who's shipping, but still overall, the 30% increase from Chinese cargo is going to buoy the lane likely past the last record breaking point. Something to keep in mind. And I think it's also excellent moving into talking about the China to Europe lane. So I'll talk about that in a minute. But if we just First, let's take a step away from rail and talk about ocean shipping. So ocean shipping wise on our last freight market roundup, we kind of talked about how this lane had a week back in August where it was without a doubt, the biggest mover we've seen throughout the summer. And that is because we saw this lane at the absolute lowest costs of all the major ocean shipping in the world. Um, And it was coming in at roughly a thousand dollars, but that being said, that a thousand dollars was in the TEU, it wasn't in the FEU, and pretty le- pretty easily foreseen. Also, it was pre-announced that a GRI was coming to that lane. Um, obviously, when you see a lane go down to a cost point that's completely unsustainable, a GRI is likely to ensue. Just to you know, protect the carriers on that lane, and that's exactly what happened. Now, what we saw was after that, that GRI was extremely hefty. You've got a low price lane. So a GRI is going to be a higher percentage, but it nearly doubled the price of that lane. It went from under $1,000 a TEU to around $1,800 a TU. And now when we look at that lane through an FEU, I think it makes it even more interesting because at a 40 foot equivalent unit, this was the beginning of August when we saw this, this increase. So we've had you know a little bit of time between month and a half. Now, We're seeing FEUs down to 1,200, which is incredibly low. It is a very long lane. That being said, it has a lot of stops. It's one of the greatest lanes to benchmark ocean shipping in general, just because of the number of stops it goes to. Also, if you think about upstream suppliers and just how goods tend to travel, it is a great place to look. But lately, it has been a little challenging. And this is obviously in part due to the other option, the rail shipping option. Um, and it's a little muddled when you think about the sanctions and who's using it and why and why others aren't using it. But still, $1,200 for a 40-foot equivalent unit on this lane is remarkably cheap. During the peak of the pandemic, we saw this lane sitting at $15,000 for a TEU, not an FEU, and it was sitting there for the longest period out of any of the other lanes. Granted, It it, it was not the most expensive lane, but it sat at a $15,000 point for without a doubt the longest. Great barometer to understand what's happening in the market. And seeing this so low is definitely concerning. Now, that being said, the way supply chain works, we kind of do yearly resets. If we get through this peak season and we don't see that obviously peak of cargo, we are likely to kind of see that reset as just business resets on a yearly basis, resets quote unquote. Now, that being said, um, you know, I think what's interesting about this is we've got this clear situation. You've got this European demand for upstream suppliers being at that particularly low point. And, you know, you have to also realize that a lot of the data is kind of sandbagged right now because we had those huge, just immense pandemic years where there was all these long jams and the release of those long jams. And, and it, And as a result, some of the data and some of the comparison points can be kind of muddled. Also, we've got all these new vessels coming into, coming into, um, into use. And so as a result, that's also another challenge, just there are a lot of layers and a lot of variables, but when you do compare pre-pandemic rates to current rates and you're seeing pre-pandemic rates are higher, that is somewhat of a concern, especially when all the capacity levers are being pulled now. When we were talking about our discussion with our Southeastern um, or Southeast Asia trade partners, and that was the Orient Star Show, we discussed this rapidly growing EV automobile sector in the Chinese economy and how its growth in the European market has been, which we would expect, remarkably quick. Now, just this last week, though, things have really heated up in this realm. And the European Union is launching an investigation into Chinese subsidies for electric vehicles. And the goal is to make sure that there's not going to be a flood of cheap imports coming in to a fragile EV market. So this is an escalation and it has opened the door for a potential retaliation. And it would hit, you know, the blocks, car makers very hard. The EU also has a pretty complicated history when it comes to anti-dumping, particularly with China. And specifically in the realm of advanced electronics, one of the most notable cases actually happened back in 2013, and it involved solar panels. And really, this new EV probe investigation is bringing back some of that memory and some of that frustration. And it's you know it's that was quite a rocky when it was literally classified as a trade war at that point, and it is bringing back those same emotions. So this is definitely something you've got to keep your eye on. Also, the real estate giant in China, essentially, it was real estate and EVs was their portfolio. So this is this is huge. And um, just to ensure that their balance sheet can you know stay in the green or as green as it possibly can, they really need to see those EV sales continue in Europe. So definitely keep your eyes on this. We're going to be keeping our eyes on this too. Now, let's jump into air. So if we're looking specifically at spot rates from Northeast Asia to the U.S., we're currently looking at an average across US inland terminals of actually 555 per kilogram. So this is up 39 cents from two weeks ago. Um, lowest costs we're seeing right now are 488, still up roughly 30 cents from two weeks ago. So definitely kind of pricey right now. If we flip over to our European partners, we're seeing a much more reasonable rate. Um, shipping costs but you'd also expect it to be a little bit lower shipping costs are coming in at an average of 205 a kilo and this is down from 209 a kilo two weeks back now If you wanna beat this rate, really what you've gotta do is try using our consolidation program. It is incredible. We are heavily integrated with our partner LLS and um, it is the greatest way to consolidate with air. You can have great costs, but also better reliability as well. So if you are shipping air from Europe, you should reach out to us, give that program a shot. Pretty much everyone who tries that program starts to ship consolidations regularly because you are getting the cost but also the parties involved you know everyone and if there does happen to be an insurance situation it's a lot easier to deal with the dispute process than it would be otherwise now um let's talk about oil and gas a little so it has been a shaky couple of weeks for the freight market and um when you look at the oil and gas market as well it's kind of reflecting there so we are seeing a new high when it comes to diesel fuel. Not a new record high, but a new recent high. We're up seven cents from two weeks ago at 454. But this is also beneficial when you think about backwardation and also the time of the year. Generally speaking, these fuel prices tend to rise around now. Um, so guys, thank you so much for taking this ride with us today. There is a lot going on. And next week, we are going to have a show all about our recent acquisition. So you can kind of learn why we're growing and some of the new capabilities we're bringing to the table. So stay tuned for that one. Thank you and make it a great week.